A lot of people have gone into treatment for alcoholism and drug abuse. But once treatment is over, however long that lasts, they go into what is called recovery. The name of this show is Recovery Now. Good evening, everybody. I'm Ned Wicker, and alongside the Reverend Dr. Dan Gating and Debbie Wicker, and today we're going to be talking about recovery. Last week we were talking about treatment. Perhaps I've gone into a treatment center. I have gone through the program. I have been given my marching orders, and now I am in recovery. But that's a really strange and unusual and often misunderstood term. Treatment, recovery, are they interchangeable? Uh, But what are the differences? And, Dan, uh, recovery is more just getting back to a healthy life. That is our goal, is to be healthy in our relationship to ourselves, to others, our power, our, our higher power, and the world around us. And many times we can look at recovery. I always think of it as a person coming into the hospital with a broken arm. And uh, when they enter the hospital, we're going to say they're going to go in for treatment. And they get the x-ray, they examine the extent of the wound, and then eventually they might have to do surgery, they might have to do something, they put a cast on it, and that's in view of the healing. And then as they get stronger in time, they get strong enough to take that cast off, and they're back, what I would say, they're in that recovery process into healthy functioning. And I relate that many times maybe to going to treatment to address the problem, to get help, to get us into the recovery process. But once treatment is over, once your time is over out of that assisted part, then you also, you can be in starting recovery in treatment, but afterwards you also continue a lifestyle of health. One of the things you were telling me, Debbie, before we started was that people in the business throw these terms around, but it is confusing, isn't it? Yes, I think it's it's very confusing. I have a very, very good friend whose um, husband, unfortunately, has a, is an alcoholic, and he just went into a treatment center, and they spent $100,000 for 30 days of treatment, and she's expecting not only is he treated, but he's in recovery, and he is recovered. She thinks it's kind of the end of the story. It's not an ongoing process. And I think with the broken arm example, we all know, well, we got to get the cast off. We have to do physical therapy. I don't know that that's true, that people understand that about addiction. One of the things also is that I look at Weight Watchers. I enter the Weight Watcher program, and the program works if you work it. And when I leave my assigned time of 10 weeks... It will have worked if I have worked the program, and it will continue to work if I work the program. But that is when we have to learn how to live a recovery lifestyle for Weight Watchers, for other ways of living, but also when you understand, you have to understand the disease of, of your addiction. Again, going back, powerlessness over it. What are the the implications? How it affects you, your relationships, and then growth is our goal. But it becomes a lifestyle. 
it's a way of living. It's not an end all. Oh, I went to treatment. Now it's all done. I don't do anything. Gerald May said in his book, Addiction and Grace, to be human is to be addicted. We have always patterns of living we have to get into health. I think one of the things that your friend is missing is the fact that her husband goes into treatment for alcoholism. He will always be an alcoholic. You are not cured. You are given management tools. Uh, so she also is unaware that she needs treatment. Exactly. And I think from her perspective, she's upset, she's angry, she has a lot of anger she has not dealt with. So she's expecting that when he goes away, you spend the money, you come home. Now you should be stopped drinking. You should be rid of it. And what's happened previously with him, this is his fifth time in treatment, is that he's come back home and nothing has changed. So as you're saying, Dan, he's not following the program because he, because he never really wanted to follow the program. And, you know, many people, alcoholism, addiction is a complex disease. It can be many times only alcoholism. Sometimes it's multiple addictions, and then sometimes there might be other issues that have entered in and have been enmeshed with the addiction. And so treatment is a time of sorting out and then working on those issues that they be, can become events, but they don't have to be primary running the, that life. It's interesting because I met a, a woman once who was in the treatment center for her alcoholism, and she went through detox and she went through treatment. But one of the underlying issues that was triggering all of it had not been dealt with, and that was her depression. And so it, when you were talking about the multiple uh, issues that, that can become involved, it's like unpeeling an onion, if you will. So part of that treatment and as you go into recovery is to understand all the components of the disease and what you're going through and, and to really embrace the fact that I have a lot of different areas that maybe I need to work on. That's that's a great idea and a concept to, to bring out that many people don't understand. So how do I know if I'm in recovery? One of the reasons that I think a person can know if they're in recovery is to see what are changes that have happened in looking back, doing maybe an inventory of what my life was while I was actively using a mood-altering chemical, and what is it now in those changes? And those are where the, the steps come in. I have a story uh, that I would like to share, and it's about a American Indian who is a Methodist minister. I should just say any minister, really. It doesn't matter what kind, but this was his story, so I have to be true to the story. But I was working with him and as his chaplain, one of the things that they were addressing was he had all the theory. He knew all about addiction. He knew all about recovery. He knew all about theology. He had all of the answers. And as I went in and we talked to him about some of his denial, he looked at me and he had a big Bible and he threw it at me. And I caught it. And then I threw it back to him. 
He said, you're trying to take my faith away. You're just trying to take everything away from me. And I said, no, that's not what we're doing. But I told him the little story of a person that might know all there is to know about Bach and Beethoven, but can't sing or play a note. And another person that does not know any musical theory or history goes out on stage and she sings, brings the house down, and we say she has soul. And what the object was, was to say she was singing the song and the object of treatment is to get a person in recovery that they begin to discover the song again and be able to sing it and continue to sing it throughout their life. People talk about being in and out of treatment. And your story about the Methodist pastor reminds me of a of a lady who was talking to me about how many times she had been in treatment. And we had a discussion one day in our group about the 12-step process. And as we are in recovery and following this 12-step process, and she stops me and she says, well, you know, this has altered everything to do with this being a person, being a better person. And a lot of uh, people who know a lot of theory, a lot of people who have a lot of head knowledge, and then the emotional side of that and the spiritual side of that somehow gets lost in the shuffle because I'm cramming my head full of facts and figures. But what it's about is surrendering in his, in his recovery process, is surrendering to that power greater than, than himself. It has nothing to do with theology whatsoever. It has everything to do with putting your trust and faith in something other than yourself. So it, I, I, having been to seminary and been on staff at a church, and even as a pastor, you get caught up in this sort of thing, and I'm supposed to be perfect. And we're not perfect. So we fall down, we skin our knees, and then there we are. We have to go back, get, get treatment, back into recovery, get back on the path. So there's no one-size-fits-all program for this. Uh, once you're in treatment, that doesn't mean you're always in treatment or you won't need a, you know, a refresher course. And I think people take it a little bit hard on themselves. You know, I spent a hundred thousand dollars. Your friend said, well, you better be better. <laughs> we just spent a hundred grand. One of the things about the journey of recovery is that, uh, when a person relapses, many times they've used the term therapeutic relapse a person can discover what has set them out. And also they get very much in touch with the power of the disease and how they must pay attention to their recovery and to the elements of recovery to stay healthy. And uh, I think that is something that's real uh, powerful to remember. But the hope is that now I have more in my computer and my awareness as to how powerful the diseases are and what are my trigger points that I have to watch out that I do not get into relapse. So is it possible that he went to this 30-day program and spent all this money and he isn't even started in recovery yet? If he has not taken the initiative himself, it's not what anybody else does it is that he has to, in his heart, put him whole, his whole self into it 
versus doing it for compliance to surrender? He did it primarily for compliance. He did it because his wife wanted him to. You know, they had an intervention. They read all this stuff to him, and he, they didn't even get through two sentences, and he decided to go to treatment. And compliance is not a bad thing. I don't know of anybody that really recovers without having to start in compliance, but then, as we can see and as we have worked with various recovering people in treatment, they identify where they see themselves. Are they resistant? Are they compliant? Are they surrendered? Are they getting there? Are they growing in that? And if they're moving towards that place, and then it's a day-by-day of living in surrender, of willing to be willing to do whatever it takes, not necessarily wanting to. What's interesting in going through that process, it's a one-to-five scale, right? And one, you're you're in complete rebellion. In our group, we see, we see folks like this, uh, often. Maybe you're court ordered. I'm not happy about being here at all. But then, as they begin that process of surrender, you know, they become compliant. They're moving closer. Then they get into total surrender. By the time they get to the five, everything that therapist says is mine. You know, everything that the doc says is mine. I, I fully embrace the program, and I realize, because I realize that I'm the one that has the problem, because I realize that I need help from a power greater than myself, because I have said that I will surrender my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, because I have owned those three statements, this recovery is mine. Recovery is not being forced on me. Because if it's being forced on you, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no uh, particular integration in that. It doesn't become a part of my fabric. It doesn't become a part of my being. And I think recovery takes a lot of work. Just as all of life, to stay healthy, we have to work at it. It's not easy. And some people, I have just said, you need your tennis shoes on and you need to start running for recovery because your disease is eating your life, destroying every aspect, but you can run to recovery. And one of the nice things is in this whole, tr- the truth, a spirit scripture says, truth will set you free. It sets us free, but it doesn't mean that it's not painful. It does sometimes it hurt to get to health, but it's a healthy hurt. And also one of the things in recovery is to be brutally honest and if a person can say that they are in rebellion the good sign is they're being honest about it and that's the first step to recovery being totally honest i i i'm glad you brought that up because when we when we go around the group you know where are you in that process from one to five now the most common answer well i'm a four I'm getting closer, you know. I'm a four. Well, I'm a. I'm here. I know I got. I'm definitely a five. Now, I, I don't mean to be a cynic, but you could usually tell that if somebody says they're a four, they're really a three, and if they say they're a three, they're really a two, because human nature dictates that I want to have this deal my own way, and uh, maybe I'm telling you what you want to hear. 
So your friend's husband goes into that treatment center. He's there for 30 days. They spend the 100 grand. He comes up. He says, well, honey, I'm well, because that's what she wants to hear. But has she had treatment in that 30-day period, and does she understand his disease and everything that he is going through? And are they on the road to, you know, on that recovery road together? So you're saying the entire family has to be in recovery. Is that true? Absolutely. Because there has been, there's always that family history, isn't there? There's always those uh, family components to the uh, to the addiction that is living in the house. And so it's one thing to say, you go off into treatment, but as the family member, the one who is not uh, struggling with the disease of alcoholism or drug addiction, I still have some recovery to do myself because I have a relationship with this person and I'm a part of that recovery process. I always sort of think of it as residue that lives on in relationships in that family and the functioning and looking at the system of how do each one of us become healthy and how do we relate to others in a healthy way. So she shouldn't just be asking if he is in recovery. Should She should be asking if their entire family is in recovery. And again, I, he has like four children. They all view it as his problem that he needs to get over so they can move on with their lives. In my lifetime, in my life experience, my mother had a disease of alcoholism. I was a young child. My older brother had gone away to college, and I don't think she ever really recovered from that, but I, I didn't think of that then. All I knew was that mom drank, and it was all about me. And it was her problem. Because of that, being an adolescent and even being a young adult, I did not have the proper attitude towards it. I didn't have any particular compassion towards my mother. And I was not a good son. I mean, I was part of the problem. I was feeding the problem. Maybe the loneliness that she might have felt or maybe the emptiness in her heart or maybe some other thing, I wasn't concerned about that. I was only concerned about me. And so had my mother been able or had gone into treatment and someone reached out to me, I would have discovered long before I did that I was part of that. I was a part of that disease and I was also a part of either making it worse or making it better. So I, it's important. Groups like, like Al-Anon are just exquisite in helping family members through this process along with the person they love. And there are so many wonderful resources uh, that we can find through the Internet on recovery lifestyles and on recovery that sometimes just browsing and seeing what grabs you and what speaks to a person's heart is a way also, I think, that we grow in our own awarenesses and perceptions versus somebody telling me, you must do this. It's a, aha, I discovered it, and then I claim it, and then can move on. Because I think knowing our location, where we are, is the key for starting on our road to recovery. We always talk in our lectures about uh, alcoholism and drug addiction that we are body, mind, and spirit. The body 
medical science does a really nice job with that. Medical science can also do a pretty good job with the mind. But the spirit requires a process. It requires healing. And that's really, when it comes to recovery, this is, this is the time that the spirit heals. This is a time of renewal. It's a time of change. If I don't want to weigh 400 pounds, I have to watch my dietary habits. If I don't want to uh, contract diabetes, I have to watch my diet, my sugar intake, and what have you. And, and so it becomes a management issue. But it's so much easier when you've got that person alongside, when you've got that support group. When you go through these things alone, there's a lot of people that I have met in the treatment facility during our discussion groups that say, well, I've been here before, and I don't want to do the 12-step because it doesn't work. Well, the reason it doesn't work is because you're doing it alone. You know, have you really let someone else in? Have you really gotten through these steps and said, look, I can't do this alone. Well, no, not exactly. A lot of people fight the process in that recovery process, the 12-step being so vital to that. And they fight that process. I don't know what this means. I don't know what that means. I am resisting it. Or conversely, they're trying to get out, so they say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They say yes to everything, even though in their own heart they aren't really saying yes to anything, but they'll do anything to, to get out. Well, that's a part of, the, uh, part of the problem that I had. There was a young man that I knew who was uh, in the state prison, and he had a huge problem with cocaine, and they put him into a program, he was a pretty smart guy. He he was one of those guys that was scalping tickets and doing all kinds of clever things on the street to get by. Pretty smart guy. And he knew how to work the program. And if you told him, I want you to say blue, he would say blue. Uh, he was thinking red, but he would say blue. And, and that's a huge problem. But that self-awareness piece, am I being honest with myself here? Am I really helping myself? In fact, what ended up happening is we actually met him at the church. And, you know, you talked about in our last show about the spiritual. And there are a lot of very good uh, faith-based programs. And he had learned to work every single one of them. And he actually was living off of faith-based programs. The sad part is he ends up back in prison. He never really addressed his addiction. And because he said yes to everything, he ended up essentially back in the same place right where he started. So recovery is that area right after the treatment where I am going to become once again a whole person, body, mind, and spirit. In the case of addiction, I am going to learn management strategies. I'm going to have coping tools so I don't fall into that addictive cycle again. I can break that. Next week on Recovery Now, we're going to be talking about causes of alcoholism and causes of addiction. Huge area. Uh, are there genetic components to it? Why can one person have a drink and not be affected at all while another person, they hear what the alcoholic calls that click, and all of a sudden they're hooked? So what are the causes of alcoholism and drug addiction? So that's next time I'm recovering now. Dank eating. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. 
So we'll be looking for you next week when we take a look at causes of drug addiction on recovery. Now, this is Ned Wicker. Thank you very much, and God bless.